0: Good morning. You are in the front row today. Holy moly. It doesn't get any more front than that. You know afterwards, we're going to evaluate the merit of the front row, and maybe we can just talk about other people who want a chance to sit right where you are. right? They are more than welcome. The, the evaluation, right? I know there are some people who are very partial to that back row. There's a Hi, Gloria. I often thought, you know, I could, if I was to just preach sometime from right back here. <laughs> now you are in the front row. <laughs> it's good to have you here too. This is, uh, it's a great morning to have everybody here. Thank you for uh, coming to worship with us at Midland Reformed Church. Uh, while we uh, prepare our hearts to uh, enter into God's word together and to think about what God might want to say to us today, let me invite you um, just join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, very special time of year. Thank you for uh, moments of being together as family and as church family. Thank you for moments of uh, reflecting on uh, your presence in our life and in our world. Thank you for moments of uh, singing and moments of silence. Lord, I pray that uh, today in this place, uh, that you would be faithful to your promises to us, that you would draw near to us, that you would welcome us with our doubts, with our frustrations, with our anger, with our disappointment, that you would welcome us with our joys and victories and celebrations, that you would welcome all of us, all of who we are, uh, into your holy presence today. Thank you for Jesus who makes that possible for a world to step into the throne room of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would let us hear your voice uh, in just the way that we need to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are continuing today our Advent series. And as uh, Alyssa already mentioned, Advent, the season of Advent, is uh, sort of has a uh, sort of a dual uh, reality to it, right? On the one hand, uh, we're remembering uh, sort of the the nativity and the and the coming into the world of, of Jesus, the uh, the baby, uh, on that sort of first Christmas uh, day, right? We we uh, remember uh, the 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 people of uh, of Israel uh, welcoming. Uh, Jesus and the story of the angels and the shepherds and all all that goes with that and there's and there's uh, some connection and there's some value in doing that work of remembering. Uh, but we also uh, look forward uh, that uh, uh, to to the to the promise that Jesus will return again. That that somehow uh, the the arc of history, the story of our world, is moving in a purposeful uh, direction, and that God's purpose for uh, this world, this creation, this universe will finally and ultimately be accomplished. And so we look forward to that. We wait for that, for that reality and for that moment. So we remember the waiting of God's people and we reconnect uh, in some significant way to our own waiting. The um, way that we have been getting at those lessons of Advent, those really important um, um, moments in Advent, is by looking through together at the the prayer that's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer—it's a prayer that Jesus taught his uh, uh, disciples to pray. And uh, we are at verse ten of that prayer, uh, Matthew chapter six, verse ten. And this is a—it's uh, a—it's um, an Advent prayer. See if you can hear the echo of the waiting. Right, uh, Jesus is teaching his followers to pray, and he says, "Pray like this." Uh, in verse 9, it says, our Father in heaven, um, may your name be honored. Right. And last week we talked about what that looks like, what that means, that we have a Father in heaven, that we can come into the presence of God um, and uh, enter into um, connection with God. And then verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Do you hear the Advent prayer in that, right? It's that It's that second part of Advent, right? It's that prayer that we have as God's people for God's kingdom to come, for him to come soon. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to just connect with that prayer. Um, I want us to connect with it, if we can, at a personal level, at an emotional level. Uh, I want this um, I want, I want to, uh, to invite us to experience this prayer for, for ourselves and to make it not just a prayer that we've memorized or that we've read somewhere, but to actually make it uh, our own uh, heartfelt, soul-felt prayer, a part of our prayer. To do that, we need to connect with a couple of realities of the prayer. One, one of the realities is uh, that there's some, there should be for us some agitation, right? That this is a prayer that should agitate us, it should frustrate us, uh, and and we want to spend some time this morning um, connecting to that sense of frustration. So, um, you know, Advent, Christmas, um, it isn't just about cuteness and nostalgia and, and tranquility. Uh, but there's a there's a real edge to this prayer, and the edge should drive us a little bit to a place of frustration. It, it drives us to some places of, of of agitation. We're going to let that happen today, if we can. I want to invite you to let that happen. And then, uh, and then the prayer invites us to a place of trust and to rest. So those are the two movements that sort of we need to embody to experience uh, if this is going to become uh, not just words on a page, not just a, a history lesson about what Jesus said long ago, but if this is to become our prayer, right? If, this, if we're to enter into the prayer of Advent uh, to experience the agitation and then to experience the rest. So those are the two movements. Uh, when Jesus originally taught this prayer to his disciples, your kingdom come, he was talking to an audience that already understood the language of kingdom, right? Uh, 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 the, the Jewish followers of Jesus understood what it meant to have a king. Uh, they understood that historically, right? Collectively, they, they told the stories of the great kings of Israel. Uh, and they they understood that viscerally, right? They 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 knew the the stories of uh, King Solomon and King David, right? They knew uh, of sort of the grandeur, the power that a king could uh, could bring to uh, the king's people, right? Uh, they they understood uh, somehow and in some way that getting back to um, to a place of of um, significance on the world stage would mean that their that their kingship would somehow have to be reestablished, and they also recognized that. Uh, that that they lived under a different authority, right? They knew uh, wherever they are sitting, listening to Jesus teach these words, uh, they knew that the, uh, that the, the, that Caesar was their king. Uh, they knew that uh, their king Herod uh, was sort of a puppet, right? Uh, that there is a puppet government, but that Caesar was their king, uh, and that uh, and they understood the brutality of that, right? They understood the uh, savagery uh, and the power plays. That their king uh, Caesar uh, would engage in. So, so uh, for for the disciples of Jesus, they connected really uh, immediately to this language of kingdom, right? They could say, "I get it, right? There's there's something about kingdom that 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 reminds us of security and peace and and significance and and some longing to get back to that place, that kingdom that we had in the past, the, the glory of the kingdom, and we also uh, can recognize the um, the, 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 the barbaric nature uh, of a despot, right the, the, the injustice of a king, uh, the power of a king, that we fear our king, and so all of that is sort of emotionally in the space when Jesus evokes the image of a king it 's an image that we don't necessarily resonate with right we, most of us most of us uh, don't haven 't grown up with a king right we don 't live in a monarchy. Uh, We don't understand uh, sort of the uh, British fascination with royalty, right? It's it's interesting, but but, uh, we don't resonate with uh, the idea of living in a kingdom, uh, the person of a king. I want to suggest, though, that doing some of the work to connecting with the image of a king, of living in a kingdom, is worth our time. Right? It's worth our time to say, what, how, how do we connect with the idea of being in a kingdom? Uh, Jesus uh, talks about his own ministry as uh, central to who he is. Uh, this idea of, of in, inaugurating or initiating uh, a kingdom. Over 100 times in the gospel, Jesus teaches that he is making the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens. Available, and so uh, if uh, if Jesus talks about it over a hundred different times, if it's all through uh, uh, his teaching, if it's developed in the letters of the New Testament, as a part of the prayer life that he teaches us to have, then doing the work of connecting to um, the image of a kingdom is worth our time and work. So one way to think about um, a kingdom, one philosopher puts it this way: if you if you think about God's kingdom, uh, what what he says is think about that God's kingdom is the effective range of God's will. Right? It's God's realm, it's his reign. So God's kingdom is the effective range of God's will. Uh, and that's exactly what uh, Jesus says in this prayer, right? In, in sort of the very succinct poetic language of prayer, uh, he says, Your kingdom come, as if to say, your will be done. Right, God's kingdom coming uh, is, is is equivalent to the place where God's will is done. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, God's kingdom, God's reign—it's the effective range of God's will. Uh, God's reigning—it's uh, God's kingdom is present. In other words, wherever what God wants done is done. God's kingdom is present wherever. What God wants done is done. That's the range of God's effective will. And uh, the uh, prophet Isaiah says that the news that makes uh, feet lovely on the mountains, right, you remember that great verse, uh, is is the announcement that our God reigns, right, that our God's will is being done. So uh, let me just draw that out just a little bit more to connect uh, with us, right? So think about uh, not only the effective range of God's but also think about the idea that you also have a kingdom. You have a kingdom, right? Uh, you, you you might not have woken up this morning and stretched and you know had your first cup of coffee and said all is well in my kingdom today, right? I mean you're not right. You're, you know um, you're not thinking about um, yourself as a you know waking up as a king or a queen or something. But you have you have a kingdom in these terms because you have an effective range of where your own will uh, is established. You have. A range where your will is lived out. You don't recognize that until somebody violates the boundaries of your kingdom, right? So if I was to um, just sort of come over and uh, put my hand into one of your into your purse or into your backpack and kind of go through it and and, and take out what I wanted for myself and and slip it into my pocket, um, you would minimally be a little bit uncomfortable by that, right? You, you would find that a little bit uncomfortable. You'd feel maybe a little violated, and you would be upset. Why are you upset? Why are you upset when somebody reaches into your purse or reaches into your, into your backpack? Uh, one of my first um, experiences, when I first arrived in uh, Southern California to go to school, uh, within the first week, uh, my little truck got broken into, and somebody stole the radio and all of my, my music uh, 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 CDs out of it, or tapes, I guess, at that time. Who am I kidding? It was tapes, Right right and, and, and right and and i and what's what's the response right you don't just say oh well you know you know somebody else must have needed these things and you know we all share here it's all you know we're all part of one great human family that isn't the response right the the emotional response is i just i was violated right somebody infringed on my kingdom on, on a place where i had assumed and i expected where the thing that i wanted to be done would be done right that i that i could establish my will over my little truck right and when that's violated when you can't establish your will over your personal belongings right if 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 you come home uh, this afternoon after uh, uh the birthday party for Jesus and you find that while you were eating lunch here somebody had come into your house and helped themselves to uh you know your holiday food and your cookies and your food in the refrigerator and and uh you know, they had just sort of made themselves at home in your heart. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, right? You wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm so glad that you made yourself comfortable," right? Maybe some, some of, maybe one of, maybe, no, nobody would ever say that, right? What do we say? What's the phrase? What we say, right? Your, your home is your castle, right? We use the language, right? We expect that in our home, that that will be a place where our will is established, that the things that we want done will be done. And the things that we don't want to happen won't happen in our home or on our person, right? We we have a we have a sort of a, a visceral sense that uh, that I have a range where my will is effective, and we also find out pretty quickly that we have some limits to that range, right? Uh, it isn't surprising to us to say that we we have limits to the range of our effective will. For example, my uh, cat um, does not recognize my will, right? Um, the cat that lives in my house does not uh, recognize uh, the effective range of my will, right? And my cat's will uh, wins, right? I mean, you talk about hurting cats, and that doesn't bring to mind a picture of order and, and uh, cooperation, right? It's a picture of chaos. Uh, if you have a child, you know that there's a limit, to the effective range of your will, right? Um, um, Alyssa and Annabeth have just stepped out of the the room. And uh, uh, a lot of times on Tuesday uh, Tuesday afternoons, um, Alyssa will bring Annabeth with her to our staff time, right? We have a staff meeting on Tuesday afternoons. And uh, she comes early. And uh, it's really, really well planned out, right? There's a lot of good intention. There's a lot of good thoughtfulness that goes into it, right? It's really admirable, and she'll go in and create kind of a zone of of, of, of quiet and, and tranquility in the nursery, and you know they have a little lunch and then uh, turn the lights out and put some soothing music on right Alyssa has a, a, you know her kingdom is that um, she will be free to go and engage in a staff meeting, and Annabeth is going to take a nap right she's going to sleep right that's her will and 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 you know Gently just lay Annabeth down for her nap and tuck her in, and, and then very quietly tiptoes out and shuts the door behind her. And there's a little sign up that says, Shh, You know, a child is sleeping. And we'll go into the office area and we all sit down, take a deep breath, and okay, who's first on our agenda today? Wah! Right? And uh, and uh, Annabeth like, Come get me out of this room, right? And then everybody, you know, we wait for a second. Is that a false alarm? Is it for real? And then pretty soon you hear, uh, just, you know, don't let her fool you. She has a pair of lungs, right? She really has a pair of lungs. And she, and she, and she lets her will be known, right? And, and it doesn't matter how much Alyssa wants Annabeth to take a nap. When Annabeth decides it's time to get up, it's time to get up, right? There's, there, there's a limit to the effective range of her will. If you've ever wanted something more for another person, than they wanted for themselves. If you've ever wanted more for a son or for a daughter or for a friend, for somebody that you've been mentoring, if you've ever wanted more for them than they've wanted for themselves, you've found the limits of the effective range of your kingdom. You've come up uh, against the reality that you cannot make a person think or feel or desire something just because you do. Maybe uh, you've experienced the border of your kingdom uh, when you've come up against an insurance company's kingdom. If you've ever tried to do battle with an insurance company, uh, you know just how ineffective the range of your will can be. Maybe you've come up against the range of your kingdom, the boundary of your kingdom, when you've um, had to deal with a court system and you recognize just how helpless you are uh, in that space. Maybe you've come up against the end of your kingdom when you've had to deal with uh, your credit card holder. Anytime you've had to deal with um, large, impersonal bureaucracies, right, Does that just give you all kinds of warm feelings of comfort and, uh, I hope I get you know, wake up tomorrow morning and go to, and have some kind of confrontation with an impersonal bureaucracy, right? If I could just be put on hold for hours at a time and not ever talk to somebody that can actually help me, that just makes me feel so empowered and so strong, right? That's, and you're bumping up against the limit of your kingdom. That's the way that Jesus is talking about God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, listen, there's a reality that I'm, in, there are some places on earth where God's will is not done currently as it is in heaven. There are some places where God's will is not yet established on earth as it is in heaven. How do you know that? Right? How, what do you see that tells you that, Jesus? Well, to recognize that, The absence of God's will. We have to think about how Jesus describes the presence of God's will. What is the presence of God's kingdom? Uh, Take you back to what um, uh, the voices and the prophets and the seers of of Israel had always been saying. Isaiah chapter 9, a great uh, Advent reading. Um, uh, The prophet Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, Light has shined on those who lived in a land of darkness. You have made the nation... Uh, Numerous. You have not made the joy great. They rejoice in your presence uh, as with joy at the harvest, as they rejoice when they divide the plunder. For you have scattered the yoke of its burden and the stick of its shoulder, the rod of its oppressor on the day of Midian. Uh, For every boot that marches and shakes the earth and garment rolled in blood will be for burning fire fuel. And then these words, right, um, for a child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. And the dominion uh, will be on his shoulders. The kingdom, the reign, the rule, right, will be on his shoulder. And his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will grow continually and to peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness now and forever. That's the longing for God's kingdom to come, the dominion of God to come, the reign of God, uh, the effective will of God uh, will show up in a place and justice and righteousness will be established. Uh, Around Jesus' own birth, as Jesus comes into the world, uh, there are promises that attend that time. And Mary hears from uh, the angel and uh, is told that she will give birth to this long-awaited Messiah. And this is how she responds. She says, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he, the mighty one, is holy, and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things. How he scatters the proud and haughty ones. He has taken princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. And now he has helped his servant Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful, for he promised our ancestors Abraham and his children to be merciful to them forever. And then Zechariah comes along and uh, also utters these words that describe the presence of God's reign, the the inbreaking of God's kingdom into the world. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by uh, remembering his sacred covenant with them, the covenant he gave to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness forever. What does Zachariah see? What does Mary see? What does Isaiah see? When they see the reign of God and the kingdom of God, when God's will is being done, what do you see? You see justice. You see mercy. You see peace. You see wholeness. You see reconciliation. All of those Promises, all of those realities, characterize the will of God. The purpose of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus announces over a hundred times. So if that's the presence of God's kingdom, the presence of God's will, then any time we say those things are missing, right? There there isn't justice here. There isn't peace here. There, There isn't mercy here. Anytime those things are missing, that's a place where you've you've, you've bumped up against the effective range of God's will. That something that God desires hasn't yet come to that place. So when we pray, your kingdom come, uh, we're not saying that God's kingdom should come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all of the points in the personal and social and political order where it is now presently excluded on earth as it is in heaven prayer for justice, that longing for things to be put right. You ever have a glimpse of that? I was reading an article uh, a few weeks ago about remembering our dreams. And uh, it's always been difficult for me. I don't know, some of you can remember your dreams uh, really well. But have you ever had the experience of, you know having a really vivid dream a really powerful dream uh, maybe something that was really comical and bizarre something that felt really important something that felt really significant to you uh, some kind of dream that that you experienced and, and 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 you wake up and as you as you sort of come back into consciousness and and, and rub the sleep from your eyes your your the, the, the images and the pictures of the dream just sort of wisp away from it, right and and you have an impression that it was important, but you can't quite remember it you can't quite grasp uh the dream and 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 so often our longing for justice right our longing for mercy in this world is like waking up from a dream that we just can't quite remember uh we we get we get in touch with it we 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 get a taste of it, and then it's like it just it just wisps away from us and we're back into the real waking world that longing for justice though doesn't go away that longing for peace, even when it's fleeting, even when it's just a vague impression. I had a dream last night i can't even when it's just on the edges of our awareness, that longing is there. It's the longing of this prayer. Your kingdom come, Lord. Bring justice. Put things right. Fix this world. It's as if this prayer isn't mostly a religious prayer. It isn't isn't mostly a ceremonial prayer. But that this Prayer is describing something that is hardwired deep into uh, the, the human soul, that longing for things to be fair and right and good and beautiful. We don't have to teach people to want that. And Jesus is giving voice to that longing. Your kingdom come, make things good and beautiful and right again. Advent is the season to reconnect with that longing, to be frustrated and agitated when I can't quite see it, when it seems just out of reach, just out of mind, just out of grasp. Advent is the time that we pray the the prayers of some of the most disturbing Psalms. Where are you, God? how long why is this happening those are the prayers of those are the prayers of people who are longing for god's reach to grow for his kingdom to come after all, we all know that things can be put right. We all have experiences with that, right? Uh, you, you fall down while you're skiing or you fall off your bike and you break your leg and you go to the hospital and you, you, you have it set and you hobble around on crutches for a little while and eventually there you are. You can slowly and surely return to normal and, and your, your leg is strengthened and, and, and pretty soon that, that rupture, that brokenness is just a distant memory. We know that there's such a thing as putting something right. We know that we can make things normal again. We can fix a broken leg. We can fix a broken toy. We can fix a broken television. So why can't we fix injustice? The answer from Jesus' prayer is that while you've bumped up against the effective range of your will, And you've even bumped up against the places where God's will uh, is is somehow constrained or restrained or limited. God is present everywhere, but there are places where it's as if his will is, is actively resisted and opposed. Be disturbed by that. Be frustrated by that. Be energized by that get angry about that cry for the places where god's will is resisted and where his reign is usurped sometimes his reign is usurped by individuals sometimes it's our our own our own kingdoms right our own will where we resist what god most wants i put my kingdom into opposition with god's kingdom but sometimes it's also the forces and the powers in the world the the, the scripture describes uh, forces in our world that, 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 are, that are more than just one human being uh in, in some way uh, take on a life of their own. Maybe economic forces that seem to take on a life of their own and just sweep us all along, or social forces or cultural forces. Uh, the New Testament sometimes calls them idols, the things that we worship and uh, the things that we uh, endow with great power and significance in our world. Stand in opposition to God's will. Resist God's will. And so the invitation of this prayer is to begin to pray very specifically. To recognize those places where we're frustrated and agitated and angry and confused. And to name those places as the very places that we want to see God's will come. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. is isn't just generic, but it's personal. It's passionate. It's filled with longing and even anger. Maybe we pray it for politicians and rulers, the seats of government around the world. Politicians and rulers have perhaps the most impressive range of their will of any human being. And so often, so dangerously, Oppose God's reign. We pray for God's kingdom to come in the halls of power. Pray for God's kingdom to come in hospitals. If you've ever been in a hospital room and been frustrated at the the, the brokenness and the sickness, the powerlessness that you experience there, pray for God's kingdom to come there, for the healing and restoration of God's will. Pray for our schools. Pray for our national borders, the families there that are broken and separated, terrified. Pray for our inner cities. Pray for prisoners. Pray for those who suffer an addiction. Pray for the little town of Bethlehem and all of the places in the world where violence and hatred and political corruption do their worst. Be agitated by that. Be agitated when you bump up against the effective range of your will, the end of the limit of your kingdom, and and even the limits of, of where God's will seems to be present. And when you're mad and when you're agitated and when you're frustrated, then you're ready to pray this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples. All right, and then rest. When you pray this prayer, rest. Whenever uh, a Hebrew would pray um, for God's kingdom, uh, they were thinking about Sabbath. The Sabbath day, written into the law of Moses and practiced by the people of God, the Sabbath day uh, was intended to be um, a reminder, uh, but even more than that, a, a, a practice or a foretaste of the kingdom. Right? It was. It was just, uh, as if to say, uh, on the Sabbath day, here's what gets to happen. Uh, it, it's as if um, the future of God's reign is rushing to meet you, and you get just for that 24 hours, just in that space, a few moments to imagine what it's like to live fully in God's kingdom. The Sabbath day did that for God's people. And so um, it's, it's, it's not surprising then that Jesus is constantly getting in trouble for what he does on the Sabbath day. Why is that? Right? Jesus um, you know, picks a few uh, things of grain to eat and nibble on because he's hungry and the religious people get upset with him. You're violating the Sabbath. He heals somebody and the religious people get upset with him. You're, you're breaking the Sabbath. And, and, of course, the point is that um, to be mad at Jesus for breaking the Sabbath is missing the entire point of the Sabbath. Because what Jesus is saying is, look, the thing that the Sabbath was always intended to point to, the arrival of God's kingdom, has happened in me. I am the presence of God's Sabbath. I am the arrival of God's kingdom that the Sabbath pointed to. I am the, 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 the embodiment of what it will look like when God's kingdom, his, his reach and his will grows into all of the places where it has not yet touched. And so whenever Jesus shows up, what happens? Healing breaks out and forgiveness breaks out and restoration breaks out and justice comes to town wherever Jesus shows up, Sabbath is experienced and God's kingdom is seen. And so here's the invitation. It isn't just to to recognize the limit of your kingdom and to be agitated by that. But when you pray and when we pray together, your kingdom come, what we're really saying is, let me align my kingdom with your kingdom. Let me uh, be put into service in such a way that I represent the arrival of God's presence and, and and enlarge the effective range of his will because I'm aligning my own kingdom with God's kingdom. And I rest in that. I come to a place where I recognize that when I trust and rest in Jesus, when I see the ways that Jesus lives into and embodies the kingdom, I'm invited to share in that, share in his love, share in his justice, share in his mercy, and to engage that with the way that I live my life. That's our Advent prayer. That's the prayer of a people who are frustrated and waiting and upset And often feel helpless in the face of it. It's a prayer that says, I align my kingdom with Jesus. I give myself to you. And I rest in the arrived kingdom that you've established already. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do uh, thank you for your um, being the answer to your prayer. When you... uh, Invite us to uh, to pray for your kingdom to come, uh, Lord. We're praying for the success of your ministry, for the enlargement of your presence. Help us to be a part of being the answer to that prayer, Lord. We think of the uh, places in our world that are hurting. We think of families and neighborhoods. We think of uh, nations. We think of those who are oppressed, those who are broken. We think about our own brokenness. and Lord, um, we join our, our prayer. How long? Please come and set things right. In your name we pray. Amen.